Church, it is so good to be with you. I, can, I know I can speak for my whole family and say we are just so eager and excited to join the Anderson Hills family. In fact, if I can just begin with a moment of uh, slight embarrassment for them, I'm going to have my family stand up. They're right in here, up in the front. Interspersed with some of our great friends as well, but on the end you have Jacob, Jennifer, Marissa, and Tyson. I am thankful for them. You guys can be seated. I would have told you, yeah, give them a hand. Back in the day, I would have told you that we have three cute kids. They obviously take after their mama, but I won't say that because two of them will probably punch me after service if I do. So we'll just let that one slide. But we're thankful for them. We're thankful for some of our friends from up north who are here with us today as well. So good to, to be with all of you. You know, it's, it's an interesting and a special day at our church, and I'll talk about that in, in just a little bit more, but I'm just so thankful to be able to have the opportunity to, uh, to follow Pastor Mark and his faithful leadership here. He and Melinda for 18 years have led this place with such excellence and it is just such an honor to be able to come here and to be here with you. And today we're going to talk about Psalm 130. And Psalm 130 I think is a great psalm for, uh, for a day like this. Uh, it's called a Psalm of Ascent. And we know that because if you read it in your Bible, you'll see that it says Psalm 130. Then there's this thing called a superscription right after that, which says a Psalm of Ascent, and then it gives you the Psalm. And those superscriptions are kind of like a post-it note. They help you kind of understand what's going on in the backstory, like important things that you need to know. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate post-it notes very much, especially in a week like this. This past week was my first week in the office, and there's just so many things to learn and to know. I've been like living off of post-it notes, you know, and the staff has been super helpful to me. In fact, uh, so many post-it notes, but I want to share just one of them that they wrote for me. Uh, this one in particular was just so helpful. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mark. I decided I would save screwing it up for next week as a result of that helpful and informative note. But seriously, it's a psalm of ascent. In other words, a psalm for climbing. What's up with that? Why, why a psalm for climbing? Well, if you understand the background, you know that the Israelites worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a city sat up on a hill, and the temple was at a pretty high place. So when you were going to church in those days, you would ascend, you would climb up. And so in other words, it's a, a psalm for, to read while we're going to church. It's a psalm for preparing our hearts for worship. And it's a wonderful psalm for Palm Sunday because Jesus himself was ascending into Jerusalem. He was riding in on the donkey, but not just physically. He was ascending also in the eyes of the people because as they welcomed him to Jerusalem, they, they waved palm branches. These were a sign of victory in Israel. And they sang, and they said, Hosanna. In other words, Lord, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So they are excited. They see Jesus as this incoming king. And the Israelites were ruled by the Romans in those days. And they didn't like it. And they wanted to be free. And so in Jesus, they saw the opportunity for freedom. Maybe, maybe this is the promised Messiah, the one we've been waiting on, the one who's going to come and he's going to restore Israel to its former great days. Well, if you know Jesus' story, you know that he was and he is a conquering king, but not in the way they were expecting. They were looking for a political ruler.
Jesus was coming with a kingdom that was out of this world, something so much more than they could ever have imagined. And we're going to journey through what Jesus' kingdom, how this all was initiated here this week in Holy Week. I just want to invite you to be a part of it. Uh, tonight we'll begin with prayer over at Salem at 6 o'clock, but then on uh, Maundy Thursday, we'll be right in here at 7 p.m. Pastor Linda will lead us as we just experience the sacrament of Holy Communion together. A and we experience what it would have been like to be with Jesus that evening where he was betrayed. Then the next night, Good Friday, Pastor Jonathan will be over in uh, Fellowship Hall. And he will be leading us in a, in a remembrance of Good Friday. It's a painful time as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But friends, you can't understand the, the joy of Easter unless you understand the pain and difficulty of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. These are part of our journey, and they're part of how we understand Jesus' ascent as our King today. So it's a good psalm for Palm Sunday, but it's also a good psalm for us today. We're in a day of somewhat of an ascent here at our church as we enter kind of a, a leadership transition, and those are important and sacred times. So I think it's a relevant uh, thing for us as well here at Anderson Hills. And I can just say for my family and I, it is an honor to get to serve a church that has been led so faithfully over the years. A church of over 200 years of heritage here. That's amazing. And you know, one of my favorite things though about our church is that despite the fact we have 200 years of faithful heritage, many 200-year-old churches are sitting here and they're talking about the good old days back in 1964 when God was alive here, right? Or maybe 1864, because we were around then too, you know? But not Anderson Hills. No, under Pastor Mark and Melinda, their faithful leadership for 18 years, God is doing his best work in these days here at Anderson Hills. That God is doing incredible work, and that's not to belittle anything of the past, but that we, I believe, as we are coming through this pandemic, we are at our strongest point in our church's history. And that is a blessing and sometimes a rarity among churches that have been around a long time. And that means the Holy Spirit is at work here. And God is doing great things. And I have the faith to believe that God is going to continue to do that. And I ask God to continue to do that through all of us together. Jennifer and I are, were so honored to follow Mark and Melinda. Their faithfulness in humility, in, in leading this church with love and with grace, and, and just with a faithfulness to God's word. It's truly, truly an honor. You know, a day of ascent is a day of joy, but honestly, it can be a little scary, too. And you may be sitting there now thinking, I don't know about this, you know? I mean, this, we've got a new pastor, and this seems a little bit scary, right? He just walked out of the pulpit. Is he allowed to even do that, right? I don't know. And, and he's like 41, right? Which means there's probably a long time till he retires. If I don't like him, oh my gosh, that's a lot of hours of my life I'm losing, right? Fair enough, right? And, and so I thought maybe I would just help you to understand the process by which this happened a little, and that might maybe alleviate your fears a little, because it's an interesting thing, United Methodist Church is how this all works, and we, we are appointed, as Mark said, by our bishop, but, but, you know, that can feel a little scary, right? It can feel a little bit like pastoral wheel of fortune, right? You know, you're like, spin that thing, right? You're like, come on, normal? 
Oh, pastoral bankruptcy, that's not what we were hoping for at all, right? Scary, what could happen? Well, we, we had this meeting, just to give you the backstory. okay? We had this meeting, and, and there were three of us who were invited to come and meet. We were going to, to interview with the PPRC, the team who makes these decisions, right? And we were in this nice little waiting room, and we're kind of talking together, the three of us, right? And I got to know the other two, and they were really interesting people, right? The first one, his name was Joel. And Joel, he has like, the, <laughs> some of you know Joel. All right, well, good deal. Well, Joel has, if he's your friend, you know, he has like the biggest smile, right? In fact, when his, he smiles, his teeth even sparkle, right? It's like, this is the happiest guy I've ever met. And he's like, man, if, if I could serve at Anderson Hills, I would be truly living my best life now, right? Like, this would be amazing. So Joel went in, and he met with the team, and he came out, and he was very sad. I said, well, Joel, what, what happened? And he said, man, that, that Jeff Button and the PPRC, they asked some tough questions. Like, I, I don't know how that went. That was not so good, right? And so I thought, oh, man, this is going to be scary, right? And so then the next guy was up, right? And it was strange because he was a bishop. And I thought, why would our bishop send a, a bishop, right? And there's this Bishop T.D. Jakes guy, right? You know, and he's there. And he's big and loud and powerful, right? And I was so impressed talking with him. I thought, oh, they're going to love this guy, right? But the bishop, he comes out after his meeting, and he's kind of shaking his head, and he says, man, I... I don't know. I don't know who on earth would want to follow Mark Rowland. I mean, he has just led with such excellence. The bar is so high. I, I wouldn't want to do it myself, right? And I thought, oh no, this is not going to go well, right? If they didn't like Joel and they didn't like the bishop, what would they like about me? And so I, I went in and they're asking questions. I did my best to answer the questions and they weren't really talking a lot about my answers, but they kept coming back to this one thing. They kept saying, John, we just love your sweater vest. It's just... <laughs> and I, I, I went home, right? And I said to Jennifer, she's like, how did it go? I was like, well, I know they really liked my sweater vest, you know? So if I go there, I'm going to wear a sweater vest every day because these people, they really like it, right? And she said, no, you're not. You're 41. So, actually, so if you're new here, like me, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to understand that, that Pastor Mark owns, actually, the best sweater vest collection this side of the Ohio River. And I, I think he may be in the competition to win the South this year as well. I'm not sure. In fact, Melinda tells me on cold nights he even sleeps in his sweater vest, right? So, that's the joke. Anyway. We better get back to Psalm 130 here. A psalm of ascent, a psalm for a day like this. David says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. It's interesting. It's a psalm of ascent, and he starts low, which kind of makes sense. He starts at a place that I think all of us have experienced, a deep, dark place, a painful place. He says, out of the depths I cry to you. Not from a joyful place, not from a happy place, but out of the depths. You've been there? I have. 
I bet you have as well. In fact, maybe today you're there yourself. And you come here and you see a lot of happy people and palm branches and all this stuff and you say, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm connecting. I'm hurting. I'm in some pain. I've been through a lot this year. Maybe for you, you're just, you're so tired of how things are right now. You say, I just want to get back to something kind of like normal, right? Or maybe for you, it's been a, a difficult medical diagnosis, and you're physically hurting, and you're tired of, of waiting. You've been praying, God, would you heal me? Would you do something? And you wonder, is God really listening? Lord, hear my voice. Be attentive to my cry. Or maybe you're going through a different kind of pain. Maybe there's some challenges at work or some challenges in your marriage or in your family. Maybe you're just waiting and you're praying. You're asking, God, would you just help my kids to stop doing dumb stuff? Maybe you're asking, help my parents to stop doing some dumb stuff. And you're just hurting. And you're going through some really difficult times. This psalm, it's for you. And it was more than just circumstantial, though. The psalmist recognized his needs, need for God's mercy. And I think God speaks to us in several ways through this psalm to, to pull us out of the depths. And the first way that God does that is that God's mercy pulls me out of the depths. God's mercy pulls me out of the depths. Mercy means that I deserve punishment, but the person who should be punishing me chooses not to. Not because I deserve it, not because I earned my way out, but purely an act of mercy. They choose not to give me everything that I deserve. And you know, the Bible tells us that in Romans that the wages or the payment for sin is death, like eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so that means that for me, for you, for all of us, that at our core, we deserve death for our sins. And that makes me thankful that I don't get everything I deserve. Because sometimes I want to pray, you know, if I don't feel like I'm getting my fair shake in life and say, God, why, I feel like I deserve better than this. Why don't I get what I deserve? That's a risky prayer right there. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, aren't you glad? God doesn't give you what you deserve. Amen. Some of you said that with some gusto. I, I feel like you might have some dirt on your neighbor or something like that. I don't know. But, but seriously, if God gave us all what we deserve, we would be in a world of hurt. Like it says in verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Who among us could stand? And maybe today you entered this place and you feel like, if a survey were taken, you may be like the worst sinner at all of Andersonville. Or maybe you feel like you're on the opposite side. And you say, you know, there's like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Mark Rowland, and me. Right up about there, right? Maybe that's you. Regardless, we are all equally in need of God's mercy. Because we've all fallen short. We've all messed up. It, and, and if you feel that you're down here, let me tell you, friends, there is hope. Don't ever listen to those lies that say that there's not hope, that you're somehow too bad of a sinner for God. Not possible. 
because it's all a free gift for every single one of us. It's not something earned or deserved. No, it's freely given. 1 Corinthians 13, we, we read this at weddings, and it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's a good verse to talk about in a marriage because there's going to be some wrongs that happen. There's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some hurt. There's going to be some pain. And it doesn't mean that we forget those things because we don't have like a forget button that we can push and make it go away. No, it means that we make the intentional choice to not hold it against the other person. That I recognize that that's an uncollectible debt and I'm going to say I'm choosing to show mercy. I'm choosing to show mercy. And friends, I believe that we as followers of Jesus should be better at this than anybody else in the world. Why? Because we've been shown so much mercy by God. And if you're struggling in your life to show mercy to others, friend, I would encourage you to reflect on the mercy of God in your life. Because once you realize how much God has been merciful to you, it becomes a lot easier to be merciful with others. To accept the fact that they won't get everything that they deserve, just like you don't get everything you deserve, and that's going to be all right. Thanks be to God. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Waiting. Kind of picking up on a theme here, right? He says it five times in two verses. For those like us who need some, like me, who need some repetition here. God, he speaks to us. He calls us out of the depth through his mercy. But he also his timing, God's timing, pulls me out of the depths. Now this one, I don't like so well. I'm all in on the mercy, don't get me wrong. I need a lot of mercy in my life. In fact, we'll just say here, day one, I'm going to need a lot of mercy around here. Because I'll tell you, I don't want to, but there's times I'm going to mess up. As your pastor, there's times I'm going to mess up. If you doubt that, I've got some friends here from Dayton, just go talk to them. They'll tell you lots of stories about this. I will mess up. I will fall short. I will ask for and I'll need your forgiveness sometimes. And I encourage you to come talk to me if that's the case. And there may even be things we don't necessarily see eye to eye on and that's okay, but I want you to know that I care about you, that, that I love you as your pastor and I don't want to hurt don't want to cause hurt and I too am in need of God's mercy because I mess things up but I also am in need of God's timing because you see waiting is hard that's why he says it five times we struggle with waiting it's not an easy thing whatsoever and I know for me I know what I want and I want it right now it would have been even better to have it yesterday, but at least right now, because, God, I don't have time for this waiting stuff. I'm busy, right? I got stuff going on. You're busy. You know what this is like. I'm like, God, it's great you're eternal and above time and all this stuff, but, but down here, we got to keep it moving. I don't want to wait. If I pray and I ask for something, I want to see it happen. If you're going to bring healing, why not now? If you're going to change this person, why not now? If you're going to bring this change in my life, if you're going to bring freedom, if you're going to bring healing and wholeness, why not 
now, God. And you know, I'm not here to put just easy, cheesy answers on hard problems. But I strongly believe that in times of waiting, that these are our best opportunities for spiritual growth. Because when everything goes my way and it's easy, it's very easy for me to believe the lie that it's all about me and that I got this under control. The times of waiting, they remind me that it's all about trusting in the Lord. The Bible tells us that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, that we really even need this waiting. And for me, some of the times of waiting have been some of just the most impactful, spiritually impactful times of my whole life. I remember one, I was 22, uh, just starting the last semester of, of my undergrad degree. And I, I knew what, what was supposed to be next. I felt called into Christian ministry since I was 12 years old, and I knew that I was going to go to college, I was going to graduate, and become a full-time youth pastor. That had been crystal clear in my mind. And as I was getting into that, the beginning of that last semester, something very frustrating happened. I just began to get just cloudy around those things in my mind. It wasn't that any tragedy happened or something like that, but that which had been so clear was now not so clear. And I began, I began to have these, it's like these hints coming in about going to seminary, and I did not want to go to seminary. I felt I had done plenty of school for the time being. I wanted to get out there. I wanted to get after it. I was excited. I wanted to serve Jesus in a bigger way out there. I didn't want to go to school anymore. And so I went on this thing. It's called a walk to Emmaus. Anybody else been on a walk to Emmaus here? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, it's a powerful experience. If you haven't, uh, once it starts up again, talk to me or somebody here on our staff. We would love to direct you towards that because it's a really powerful spiritual retreat. So I was on this walk to Emmaus, and it was Saturday night. It had been just a great evening, and everybody was happy and joyful and all that stuff. And honestly, I wasn't feeling it. I was frustrated because I was praying, and I was asking for an answer, and I wasn't getting the answer. And I remember I went into the chapel alone late that night, and I sat down there in the middle of the room, and in that chapel they had a cross up front, much like our cross here. And I remember sitting out there and pointing up the cross, and I said, God, I want an answer now. I'm not leaving here until you give me an answer. Thankfully, God was going light on the lightning bolts that day, right? Or <laughs> I was in perfect position for it. It's arrogant, I know, but it's how I felt at that moment. And I wish I could tell you that an angel came and there was this, you know, all this stuff and I had a crystal clear direction at the end of that, but that would not be true. Instead, I sat and I waited and I prayed and I cried and I waited. And what I got was not the answer I was looking for, but it was the answer I needed. I heard this quiet voice inside of me say, John, have I ever let you down before? Why don't you trust me now? If I'm the one who led you this far, do you really think I brought you here just to leave you? Why don't you trust me now? It was humbling, friends. Because while I didn't get what I wanted, I got what I needed, I had to keep waiting. 
And in time, God would make his will very clear to Jennifer and I, and we would understand. And yes, it was seminary, and that's what we were supposed to be doing. And looking back, it's, it's easy to see now. But boy, in those depths, it was tough. Maybe you're in your own version of depths. Maybe they're a lot harder than that, a lot more painful than that. Friend, I believe that God's timing can pull you out of the depths. I believe that there is hope in this waiting and that sometimes we need to go through it. We need God's mercy. We need God's God's timing. But we've saved the best for last from the psalmist here. Third, God's love pulls me out of the depths. God's love. Verse 7, Israel or church, we could say, Church, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Unfailing love. I like that. Because as humans, we experience love from one another. It's a great thing. This week, I've been shown so much love by, by this church by our staff team. We just have the most incredible staff team at this church. And let me tell you, I have some high standards. And these folks, they're awesome. They're awesome. And they're just, they love Jesus. They love you. They love this church. They're passionate about the ministry of this church. In fact, um, and, and I, I've experienced love from them in a variety of ways. In fact, Thursday, uh, Danny and I, we went, we went out for lunch and I went to, you know, learn more and all, and all these things I need to understand. I think we talked about 10 minutes or so about church and details like that. And like the whole rest of the time about how God is working and, and Jesus' work through this church and, and Danny's passion for that and passion for the kingdom of God. Like you can't get the guy to be quiet about it. And it's awesome. It's exactly the kind of people that I love to serve with, that we're so passionate about Jesus and, and so passionate about what he's doing here. And I've experienced and received God's love through our staff team this week, through Pastor Mark and Melinda, through so many different ways. But the thing about all human love is at times it's going to fail. At times we're going to mess up. We're going to let each other down. It, it happens. That's what people do. And I want you to know that God's love is different than that. God and God alone offers you an unfailing love. A love that never messes up, a, never, a love that never lets you down, a love that loves you when you let God down, when you mess up, on your very worst days, at your worst moments. If we could put them all up on the screen, we'd all be embarrassed for ourselves. But God sees them, he knows them, and he still loves you. That's how important you are to God. God was knitting you together in, in your mother's womb. Before you took a breath, God loved you. Before you stepped foot on this earth, God knew you and he loved you. Before you ever did anything for God, God loved you. And if you feel like, oh, God can't love me, I don't do as much as so-and-so and such-and-such, such, that's not true. This is not a transactional love. It's not an earned love. It is a free gift of God, not works, not earned. And, and I pray that you would know and that you would experience the power of this love, it's an incredible, unfailing love. And with him is full redemption, it says. That Jesus has given his life for us. That, that no matter what you've done, our God has never left you, he's never forsaken you, and he never will. He will never fail you. His love will always be there for you. And if you're in a dark day right now, I know that he may feel distant, but he's right here. And his love is not going to fail you. It's not going to let you down. The Bible tells us 
that, that, that those who sow or those who plant with tears will reap with shouts of joy. And I believe that's true. That maybe you're planting right now and it's a tough time and you're hurting. God is going to bring a harvest in your life and you're going to be receiving it with joy. I believe that. And our God, he, it's, the Bible says that our sorrow, it may last for a night, but his joy comes in the morning. And that's the work he wants to do in your life, my friends. I'm going to pray in a minute. And I'm going to invite you to pray right along with me where you're at. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. This would be the perfect day to do that. To say, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me and change me. I'm going to pray. You could pray right along with me. Or maybe for you, you've done that before. But you say, John, I'm, I'm in a dark place and I just need to experience God's love and God's power. And I'm going to pray for you to receive that power and that love as well. I just invite you to receive it. And then after I'm done, if you want prayer, there'll be prayer, uh, prayer friends here who you could come forward and they'd be happy to pray with you or I'd love to pray with you. Or if you want to pray after the service, I'll be sticking around. We would love to do that. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for your love. We praise you for your unfailing love. It's a gift that I couldn't earn, I couldn't deserve, but you gave. And I just want to say thank you, God. Jesus, would you come into my life in a powerful way? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you cleanse me of all that is not of you? Would you free me to be joyfully obedient to you and to your word? Lord, I just pray that you'd forgive me and fill me. And Lord, for those who are hurting this day, God, I pray that you would meet them in a powerful way. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on them. Help them, Lord, to receive you, to experience you in power, to experience your healing power in their lives right now. God, would you bring your healing touch you know what's going on. You know the dark places. And I ask that you would meet us right there. I ask that you would meet us with healing and with wholeness. That you would touch us, Lord. That you would heal us. That you would restore us, God. For God, we give ourselves to you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.